Welcome to the Cross Lane Podcast, a community committed to bringing people to Jesus. David Phillips was a University of California civil engineer. One day in 1999, he was eating his healthy choice frozen dinner. Isn't that what you do? You sit and if you're reading from, if you're eating something from a box, you ever just sit and read what's on the box if you're there by yourself or whatever? Read how bad it is for you, or I don't know, you're looking for your kid's toys in the cereal box or something like that. He's, he was reading the, the promotion on the side of the Healthy Choice box where they had partnered with uh, one of the airlines, and the promotion offered a 1,000 frequent flyer miles for every 10 barcodes of a Healthy Choice product. David quickly realized that the 1,000 miles had way more value than the 10 barcodes from some of Healthy Choice's cheaper products like pudding. So he ran out and he bought as many Healthy Choice pudding cups as he could find. He ended up with 12,150 puddings in all. And to avoid any suspicion, keep in mind this was 1999, he just, if anybody asked him, he just said he was stocking up for Y2K, which I think is awesome. Healthy Choice never dreamed that anybody would take their promotion to such extremes and resisted the payout, but ended up eventually forking over 1.2 million free air miles to David Phillips. On top of that, Mr. Phillips got the Salvation Army to peel off most of the barcodes for him in exchange for donating the pudding, which it earned him an additional $800 in tax credit. He's really working the system. So for around $2,000, David Phillips and his family have been flying free for years. That is a loophole, and we all love loopholes, don't we? Um, a loophole is a way of getting around a rule. It's a, it's a workaround. It's a way of getting around a law. This comes naturally to us. We don't have to be taught how to do that. It comes pretty naturally to us. We just kind of do it. And it, it comes to us, it begins when we're really young. A mom gets upset with her son, and the son says, wait, wait, mom, you asked me if their parents were going to be home. And I knew that eventually their parents were going to return home, so I said, yes, their parents are going to be home. I meant eventually. You didn't say, are their parents going to be home during the party? So technically, Mom, I didn't lie. See, we know how to work around it. But wait, officer, the sign says no skateboards, plural. I only have one skateboard. So I'm not, you know, technically, it's a loophole. We're always looking for a loophole. Now, here's the reason I bring that up. Christians love loopholes. Oh, we love them. And it's not just Christians. All religious groups love loopholes. Every religion has a book or a document or a list, and every religion has theologians that their job is kind of to help people get around doing the stuff that that are on the list or in the book that they don't really want to do. And if we look at it this way or if we can manipulate it this way, then we can get around it. Religion is awesome because you can have a belief system that you don't really do, and you can have something that you kind of sort of gather around and rally around and talk about, but when it gets really difficult, you find a loophole so that you don't actually have to do that thing that your book says that you should do. This is true of all religions, not just Christianity. We love loopholes. If you grew up Catholic, you guys, and we got several Catholics among us, if you grew up Catholic, you guys had a great loophole. It was called confession. I hung out with some Catholic boys when I was growing up, and once in a while, they would, I would be with their family, and on Friday night, they went to confession. And I, you know, little old guy, I didn't know what that was. I watched him walk into a box like that. I thought he was going to see the Wizard of Oz. I wasn't sure what was happening in there. 
You know, and I was curious. I'm like, hey, what's going on in there? And he's like, oh, you just go in there and say a bunch of stuff. You know, it's just, he, he really couldn't tell me what was going on. But the best I could get was that, you, you, I mean, if I just observed life, it looked like they filled their sin bucket as full as they could get it. And then they went into their priest and they dumped out the sin bucket and got forgiveness and then carried their sin bucket out of the confession and, you know, proceeded to fill the sin bucket for the rest of the week until the next confession. Um, which was, seemed like a pretty awesome thing. I'm really not making fun. It, it, you know, it was supposed to work. I'm not really sure that's what the priests had in mind, but um, it seemed to work great. Now, I grew up in a Christian church, and we had our own version of that. We didn't go to a priest, but we had a verse. I'm just curious if anybody else has this verse memorized. 1 John 1, 9. Anybody happen to know what 1 John 1, 9 says? If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Woo, that's awesome. So we were taught, you fill up your sin bucket, you go home, get on your knees, you say some prayers, and, you know, Jesus, I just want to confess my sins. And in that moment, your forgiveness was there, and all your sins were wiped, the the slate was wiped clean. And here's the real kicker. We were told that God didn't remember your sins anymore. He, like, forgot them, which is great. That's a great system. So then, you, you know, the next night you come, and you're like, God, I did it again. And God's like, what? What are you talking about? You know, that's kind of how we looked at it, which is a great system if you can kind of get your head wrapped around that. And then the super liberal Christians, you got to love them too. They know how to find loopholes. They run into something they don't want to do or that they don't like in the Bible or that Jesus said. And, they, and here's what they say. We don't actually believe that Jesus said that. You know, we don't actually believe that Paul wrote that. Um, we think that's the result of some oral traditions over hundreds and hundreds of years, and so we just kind of discard that, which kind of makes you want to ask, well, why do you even bother with Christianity anyway? I mean, it, just the point is we all love loopholes, and anytime we run into something that we don't really want to do or that we don't like, we just kind of, you know, we want to close one eye to it or we want to look sideways or, you know, we want to find somebody that agrees with us and, you know, say something like, well, that was cultural or you know, we don't do that anymore, or they misunderstood, or, you know, we're just misunderstanding human nature. Like, I've seen all kinds of traditions kept through churches where they do things, and you can't really explain why, and I've seen other things where, you know, they'll say, well, it's in the Bible. We do this because it's in the Bible, and they're really proud of that, but then there's other things that they don't do that are in the Bible. Like, I've yet to go to a church where everybody greeted one another with a holy kiss, right? We just don't do that. I mean, people go, oh, that's weird. I'm not kissing nobody at church, you know? I mean, who wants to do that? Okay, that's fine, but I'm just telling you, that's in the Bible too, and we've just decided to leave that one out. So, um, you know, whatever it is, we just, we love loopholes. Um, And now here's the thing. Loophole Christians really love theology. We, we, We love theology, and the reason that we love theology is because theology is where you build the barricade that keeps you from having to do what the Bible says you're supposed to do. You know, if you can just, all kinds of horrible things have happened in the name of theology. Theology is where we kind of do this dance. Now, I know none of you would actually do this because we're not Christians here. We are Jesus followers here at Cross Lane. And by the way, Jesus followers don't look for loopholes. They ask a completely different set of questions. But I'm saying you, you may know somebody. I'm not saying you do this. But you may know somebody, and you, and you hear this all the time. Well, you know, the Old Testament's old, and 
The Old Testament teaches tithing, but we're New Testament Christians, and we're not accountable to the Old Testament, and so therefore, I don't have to tithe. And see, that's kind of an Old Testament workaround, is what we would call that. And, and technically, that's true, but that's the point of a loophole. With a loophole, technically, you are correct. Technically, the parent did not say, are the parents going to be home during the party, but I think you know what I meant, Right? We all did that with our parents, looked for the loophole in whatever it was they said. Well, you know, they didn't say we couldn't drive over 100. They just said, be careful. I'll be careful at 100, you know. The truth is, when you begin to ask a different set of questions like the followers of Jesus do, you quit looking for loopholes because it is dangerous to be a loophole Christian. We've been saying in this whole series that you can be a a loophole Christian and believe just about anything. You can be a loophole Christian and get away with just about whatever you want. You can be on both sides of just about any issue. People have hated each other with a verse. People have persecuted the Jews with a verse. People have enslaved other human beings with a verse of Scripture. People have used Scripture to hate homosexuals. You can can do almost anything if you've got the right verse and you look at it the right way And people seem to be able to find a way to disregard the people for whom Jesus died using Jesus' Father's words, which is really confusing to me. You know, it's just like, just give me a minute and I'll find a justification for just about any behavior that I want and I'll use Scripture to do it. That's what Christians do. They love theology because give me a minute and I'll find a verse to use theology to justify just about anything that, that works for me. But we're not going to settle for Christian, are we? See, Christians, they ask questions like, how close can I get without sinning? Loophole questions ask questions like this. How bad can I be, but if God were to suddenly show up, I can say, I'm fine. You know, I'm fine. I didn't do anything wrong. I'm okay. How bad can we get? How bad can I be? How mean can I be? How self-righteous can I be? How close can I get to the edge of whatever it is without actually sinning? Those are the kind of questions loophole Christians ask. When I was a youth pastor, I got this all the time, you know. I, w- I always loved it when the kids in youth group were 14, 15 years old because they, they might have had, you know, they started the, discovering boys and girls, which was always dangerous in youth group. I never got involved in affairs of the heart, but when they turned 16 and could drive, that's when it got to be a problem. And that's when the questions like this would start coming to me as a youth pastor. Brett, how far is too far? You know, how, how, what can we do and still not go to hell? What can we do and God not be mad at us? You know, like, how, how close can I get? What, 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 where, what, can, what can we, and so what they're really saying is, I want to get as close to the line as I can get without actually going over. I want to be safe, but I want to get away with as much as I can get away with too. See, Jesus' followers ask a completely different set of questions. And Jesus ran into this all the time. See, by the time Jesus showed up, the law of Moses had been given way before. But when Jesus showed up, the religious leaders and the Pharisees in particular were so in love with the commands that they had kind of forgotten the commander. And it happens very easily. So they, they'd fallen in love with the commands, but they'd come up with some extra commands to keep people from violating the first commands. In other words, they had rules to keep them from breaking the rules. Now, we do that as well. Um, you remember when you began to date 
and you decided that you would take your date to your basement, it was really bad in my house because in my house we had, my parents were not thinking at all because my parents, we had a stereo downstairs and we had a dimmer switch. It was awesome. You know, dimmer switch and put on the music and it's like, yeah. And then mom comes storming down the steps. No, no, lights on, lights on, lights on. To which we want to respond, well, mom, dad's always yelling to turn the lights off. So I'm, you know, I'm just doing what dad tells me to do. No, not, not when there's someone else down here with you like that. You leave the lights on. What's up with that? See, we had a rule because we didn't, we had a rule to keep us from breaking the, the bigger rule. They didn't want you messing around, so they wanted the lights on, so we're going to make a rule to keep you from breaking the rule. When Jesus showed up, they had hundreds and hundreds of rules to keep them from breaking the, the big rules. And over time, they had begun to equate the rules that they developed with the rules that God had kind of handed down. And in one of these conversations with Jesus, we discover something about Jesus that should scare us to death and make us kind of sit up straight and rethink the whole approach to Christianity as it relates to loopholes. I want to take you to Matthew chapter 15, verse 1. It says, some Pharisees and teachers of the law, there they are, there there are experts, these are the ones that are the expert theologians, some Pharisees and teachers of the law came to Jesus from Jerusalem and asked, why do your disciples, if you've got your Bible open to Matthew 15, there in verse 2, it says, why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? You might want to underline that. The tradition of the elders was a body of information that was created after Moses was long gone, this was created to keep people from accidentally breaking the rules. Now, I have been in church my entire life. I've, I mean, from the time they brought me home from the hospital, I've been going to church, okay? I know some of you just got here, and that's great, and we're glad to have you. But I'm one of those kids that grew up in church. You know, if the preacher was going to wash the windows on a Thursday night, we showed up and watched him do it. You know, this, I just may have given you the... the, the outlandish expectation that I'm going to wash a window around here. That is absolutely not going to happen. But, but I, I've grown up in church, and, and I have seen this all over the place in church. I've served in churches, done internships, been youth pastors, different places, and, and there, there just always seems to be this tradition of the elders, and it's like these things, these rules that nobody can break because they've been established, that's the law to keep you from really breaking the other laws. And I'm like, well, you know, where is that in the Bible? Well, it's not really in the Bible, it's just one of our rules. To which I want to say, well, that's stupid. Oh, no, it's not stupid. It helps us to, it helps us to keep the law. See, they said, your disciples don't keep the tradition of the elders. So that not, not Moses' law, but the tradition of the elders that we've created over time to keep people from breaking Moses' law. They don't wash their hands before they eat. Now, before you parents with young kids latch on to this verse and think, oh, I've got a verse to make my kids wash their hands. That's not what it's talking about, okay? In the law, the, the priests and just the priests were required to do these crazy kind of washings. And one of them was they were to wash their hands and they were to wash all the way up to their elbows and, and that would make them ceremoni- ceremonially pure. But as time went by, the Pharisees decided, you know what, we're going to apply that to everybody, not just the priests, which is one of the problems with people. We, we tend toward control. I don't know if you've ever noticed that. But, but just think about your life, think about how you are, and think about the areas of your life where you tend 
to want to control things. For, for most of us, it's usually different things that we want to control. Um, I've argued for a long time that one of the reasons people who don't go to church don't want to go to church is because they, don't, they, they think that we're trying to control them. And I would just ask you, when you listen to me teach, ask yourself, is he trying to control me? I'm not trying to control you. Here's what I would tell you. You're free to go do whatever you want to do. I'm just telling you there's a good way to do it that will, that will streamline your life and not cause you nearly as much trouble. And there's another way to do it that's going to bring all kinds of pain, all kinds of heartache, all kinds of stuff. It's your choice. And I'm Brett. I'm your friend. I love you. I'm trying to help you get through life with the least amount of headwind. And here's the, here's the path. But if you choose to go the other way, that's fine. See, I'm not trying to control you. We don't, we're not a, Jesus was never about control. Rich young ruler came to Jesus, hey, what do I have to do to be saved? Sell everything you own, give it to the poor. And it says he walked away sad because he had a lot of money. He had a lot of stuff. And Jesus didn't chase after him. Jesus didn't try to control him. Jesus said, well, here's, here's, you're asking me, here's what it is. And the guy's like, oh, I can't do that. See, so we, we, we tend toward control. We want to control people. The Pharisees were no different. All the Jewish people had to do these washings, and over time it became required, but these weren't things that Moses handed down. So the disciples didn't wash in such a way that, that satisfied the rule, the, the rule of the elders, and so Jesus ignores their question, which is, he was good at doing that, and he says, I got a better question for you. Verse 3, why do you break the command of God? Let's forget the tradition of the elders. You're, you're, Jesus said, you're breaking the command of God. Why do you break the command of God for the sake of your traditions? And he turns this all around on them. For God said, he's like basically saying, you've forgotten the basics. This is what God said. For God said, honor your father and mother. That's one of the basics. That's one of the top ten. Honor your father and mother, and anyone who curses your father or mother is to be put to death. Now I would just ask you, aren't you glad we don't live under that anymore? I mean, none of us would be here, which means none of our kids would be here either, right? Because we've all, at some point, when our kids handed down some law or rule that we didn't like or said something we didn't like, and we waited for them to turn their back on us, and we went, right? Because we didn't like them. We didn't like what they said. I caught Bennett one time after his mother had said something he didn't like, and she turned around, and he went. <laughs> and I had to spank him because I saw that. I'm like, I can't let the kid get away with that. But, but we've all done that, right? We've all kind of dishonored our father and mother at one point or another. Jesus kind of throws it back at him and he says, you know what, you're, you're upset at me for breaking a law and you get on other people for it. You're actually breaking the law of God that was given by Moses. Verse five, but you say, and now Jesus is gonna point out their theology stuff that they've twisted up. He says, he says you say, see, see, they twisted the scriptures to empower them, to do the very opposite of what God had commanded them to do. And that sounds strange as I say it, but I'm gonna show you here in a minute. And again, they're all about the commands without really thinking about the intent of the commander. They forgot all about the intent of the law because they developed all these loopholes and all these workarounds. So here's what he says. You say if anyone declares that what might have been used to help their father or mother is devoted to God, they are not to honor their father or mother with it. Well, what in the world does that mean? Let me explain it. Here's what he's saying. Here's what they did. They had this command, honor your father and your mother, which is cool when you're an adolescent or when you're a teenager, but then all of a sudden they realized, wait a minute, that, that really does not have a shelf life or an expiration date. I mean, it, you know, that's, a, that's an ongoing thing until you're, you know, there was no, until you're 
you turn a certain age or until your parents turn a certain age. No. Honor your father and mother, that was like for life, indefinite. And when your parents get older, honoring your father and mother gets expensive, doesn't it? And so they're thinking, you know, oh, you know, we want to keep the commands of God, but we don't want to spend all our money on our aging parents. So, you know, some of our parents are going to live on and on and on. And, and you know, they didn't have places to put them. They, they didn't have what we have now where you can have assisted living and, and different facilities that can help you with, with stuff like that. They basically lived at home. So these guys had come up with this great idea. There was this little sort of twist in another law that had to do with dedicating everything to God. So they came up with this rule, and what they would do is they would, they would dedicate everything they owned to God. Sounds spiritual, doesn't it? And that sounds spiritual? Well, everything I own is dedicated to God. Let me tell you something. My experience in life has been, the more spiritual you look to me, the more you're going to hurt me. That's been my experience. It's when things look ultra spiritual and ultra, you know, all my stuff's together and I don't have any problems and I know my Bible backward and forward and, you know, I say God with four syllables and things like that. That's when all my antenna goes up because that's when I've been wounded. And when their aging parents needed somebody to pay the rent, this is what these people that had devoted everything to God, this is what they'd say. Oh, Dad, I'd love to help you out, but I've dedicated everything to God, and I can't give anything to you because everything I have has been dedicated to God. That's convenient, isn't it? They shouldn't have brought this up to Jesus. Mom, I'd, up, I'd love to upgrade where you're living But I can't work that out because, see, I can't really afford it because I've I've dedicated everything. Everything I have belongs to God, and I don't have anything extra. That would be like robbing God. So I need to hold on to everything I have because God needs it. Mom, I love you and all, but... So they actually manufactured a rule that would enable them to not support their parents without breaking God's law. So Jesus is in the middle of this. He's kind of getting on them. Verse, the second part of verse 6. Thus, Jesus says, you nullify the word of God for the sake of your tradition. Now before we get all too high and mighty and about the Pharisees, we all do this. We all do this. You nullify. In other words, you take the unclear and you fog the clear with it. You, you lean into, I think it might be, you know, and if we just look at it the right way, and, you know, I think if I read that verse and think about it a little bit, maybe I can make it say that. And you just kind of ignore sometimes what's in plain sight. You know, you've taken what God says, Jesus says, and you've twisted it so that it serves your purposes. So, Jesus, let us together ask you a question. You know, what do you think about that? To which Jesus responds, verse 7, you hypocrites. Now, I thought it would be fun, just cathartic maybe for us. I'm going to, on three, we're all going to say hypocrites, okay? We're all going to say it together. I want you to say it so they hear it in the next county, all right? I want you to just get it off your chest, right? Like, let's just all get all the, you know, cleanse all the stuff. Ready? One, two, three. Hypocrite. Oh, yeah, that was good. See, we don't even have to do it twice with you guys. First service, I was like, no, we got to do it twice. No. Hypocrites. That's what he called them. You hypocrites. Woo. Jesus. These are the Pharisees. 
See, Jesus doesn't like it when we use his Father's words to avoid doing his Father's will. That's the bottom line. Jesus doesn't like it. Jesus doesn't like it when we use his Father's words to work around, to find a loophole to do his Father's will. Now, Christians do this all the time. We do this in such a way, we get into a pocket of Christian believers, like we, we, we get in a like group, and we think it's normal, and we look at the world through some twisted law or some twisted way of looking at Scripture, and then we run into our other Christian friends, and they see the world a different way, and we say, oh, they don't get it. You know, they, they just, they don't read their Bibles. I mean, it happens all the time. It's why there is a whole group of churches that are predominantly conservative, right-leaning churches that, that are comfortable talking about, you know, we're going to take our country back, we're going to take America back, and they preach these massively political sermons, and they use the words of Jesus, and they use the Old Testament, and, they, and everybody applauds and says amen. And then you look at the part of Scripture that they use, but there's a part of Scripture that they left out. And, and you, you start asking yourself, well, wait a minute, they completely ignored that. What about this part? And I think you fell in love with the commands and you've overlooked the intent of the commander. And then there are predominantly left-leaning churches and you go listen to their preachers and, and, you know, you get done listening to them and you would think you're reading a completely different Bible than them. You, You ask yourself, you know, is that really what Jesus had in mind? I mean, it's like you've taken your whole political agenda And that's become the filter through which you view Scripture and everything comes out basically through your filter first and then through Scripture. And and after a while, it just kind of stirs up all this stuff, some of which you're not even sure is biblical. That's why you find Christians on both sides of every political issue. Because we can take this and we can make it say almost anything we want to when we focus so much on the commands that we forget the intent of the commander. I heard about a Baptist church in the Deep South, okay, many years ago. This is many years ago. Baptist church in the Deep South, and one morning, uh, everybody's showing up to church. The deacons have showed up to church, and before anybody else has gotten there, this little old black lady has come into the auditorium, and she sat on the third row. And that had never happened before. And all these white old deacons are in the back of the church and they've sealed off the doors to the church auditorium and won't let anybody go in there because they can't figure out what to do. And they're having these conversations and everybody's peering in like, can we go in there? And they're like, no, you can't go in there. Now, here's, here's why, what I would say to that. Had we dropped into that vestibule when they were having that discussion, when those deacons were talking about, well, you know, we got we to, Close off the church till we figure out what to do. And we'd ask them, why is this even an issue? You know what they'd have done? They likely would have thumbed through their Bible and turned to the Old Testament or to the New Testament, and they probably would have produced some verse, somewhere, some verse, and they would have pointed to it and said, that's why we are thinking this way. See, that's what happens when it becomes all about the commands and you lose the intent of the commander. I heard about a guy that came to his pastor He brought his daughter with him because he had just discovered that she was dating someone from a different race. And he was mad. He was red in the face. He was an angry Christian, you know, angry. He was disputatious is what he was. And he's going on and on and on. And he finally pulls his Bible out. And the pastor's thinking to himself, oh, this is going to be good. He's going to show me in the Bible where it says that, 
his daughter shouldn't be dating this person of another race. And so this guy thumbs to his Old Testament, of course, and he showed this pastor this story of where Moses marries a Moabite woman, and the pastor said, yeah, he did. And then he goes to, and he says, and Moses married a Moabite woman, and God would not let him enter the promised land. And the pastor's going, okay, okay. Both of those things are true. They're just not related. Like, Yes, the the Old Testament tells us that Moses did not enter the promised land. It had nothing to do with whom he married. The guy had a verse for why his daughter shouldn't be dating the person she should be be dating. My point is this. You spend enough time in the Old Testament or the New Testament, you can find just about anything. You can start movements around this stuff, or you can be at odds with other church people and other Christians using the same Bible. And you ask yourself, how in the world does that work? See, it's real simple. You just become a loophole Christian and you ignore the stuff that's inconvenient for you and you find the stuff that other people are doing that you don't like. And here's the other really interesting thing. Through the years, I've been going to church for quite a while now. I know some of you, it's a new deal for you, but for me, it's been a long time thing. And what I've discovered in my lifetime is that every generation kind of has their big sin. You know, every, there's always one big sin in every generation. It's like, that's the one you don't do. And that's the one, if you do it, you're going to get in big trouble. See, in, in, in your generation, there was a thing. And boy, you better not do that thing or else you couldn't even go to church. There was a time when you couldn't be divorced and go to an evangelical church. It just wasn't allowed. There was a time when you couldn't be interracially married and go to a church because they, they just they wouldn't have you there. And there's just always all these theologians and loophole Christians, and they'd find three or four sins that, that weren't a problem for them, but might be a problem for other people, and those were the ones they pinned up and said, if you do these, you're not welcome here. But what about all these other ones over here that you're doing? Well, don't look at those. You know, again, it's like Wizard of Oz. Wizard of Oz. Don't look, pay no attention to the man behind the curtain. We're going to put these up. These are the ones that are off limits, but these back here that we struggle with, that we no one knows about maybe with us, we're not going to talk about those. And the interesting thing is, none of their lists ever matched the full list of the Bible. In the New Testament, there are some sin lists. And never have I been aware of a group of theologians or Christians who took the whole list and put the whole list up. We generally take the things that we're good at, we take those off the list. The things that we don't struggle with. The things that are behind them, that are like in the mind that nobody knows about. See, like if you have a lust problem, nobody knows about that. Nobody can see that. And you may struggle with that every day of your life. Nobody may may watch you looking at porn all the time. Nobody can see you doing that. But the person who struggles with alcohol or the person who, who struggles or stumbles in some public way and they start looking at them like, look how bad they are. But nobody knows what they're doing. See, and what happens is people want to throw up a list, but the stuff that they struggle with or the things that nobody knows about, those, don't, those miraculously, somehow, mysteriously don't make the list. But they're equally offensive to God. It's like we pick and choose. And then we say, well, hey, how about you? you know, I would look at people and go, well, how about, are you compassionate? Are you full of mercy? Do you forgive people? Are you generous? I mean, those are, you know, if you're greedy, that's a sin too. If you don't forgive people, that's a sin too. If you worry, that's a sin. And you get, well, 
you know, I've dedicated everything to God, so I get a pass. No, so Jesus shows up into a world kind of like ours, only Jesus' world was even more messed up than ours was, is. And he did the most brilliant thing. He pushed back, and he said, look, forget the commands. I want to talk about the intent of the commander. Forget all the details for just a minute. I want to take you back to what God had in mind. See, why in the world would God care? Why in the world would God care about morality or why in the world would God tell us what to do with marriage? Why in the world would God tell us how to raise our kids? What is the point of all this? And Jesus pushes way back and he says, let's start all over. It's like the guy that gets blown out. He's a coach of a football team and his team gets blown out. And the next day at practice, he shows up with a football and he says, let's get back to the basics. This is a football. It's like Jesus looks at us and says, okay, let's back way up. I'm going to give you a new command. Here's the new command, that you love one another. That's the beginning. Put this at the top. By this, they will know you are my followers if you love one another. Not your theology, not how you interpret a certain verse. The way you love one another is going to be the thing that communicates more than anything else whether or not you're my follower. And then he said this, as I have loved you, that's how you're supposed to love one another. Oh, Jesus. That is so hard. Why'd you have to say that? That ruins everything. I can't love like you. Well, that's what I'm telling you. Jesus would say, that's what I'm telling you. You want people to know you're my follower, you're going to love people the way I loved you. Now, here's the cool thing. This took hold. There were people of all different backgrounds, all different socioeconomic deals, Jewish converts, people on the Mediterranean Rim, Jewish settlers, Gentile people, Greek people, Roman citizens, they would gather at the synagogue, and eventually they began to gather in their homes, and this is what drove them. They had different worldviews, different understandings. Some had access to Jerusalem and the synagogue. Others did not. And this, this idea of love one another became the filter which is important because this became the filter through which they made every single relational decision they ever made. You got a marriage problem? Okay, we know what Paul said about marriage, but let's back up for a second and let's talk about this. Love one another. Love one another. So 20 or 25 years later, Jesus has gone back to heaven. The church has started to spread and, and you know, there's a bunch of Christians in Rome and they're in the shadow of Nero's circus. I told you about that. All those horrible things that Nero did to the Christians. You know, fed them to lions and chased them throughout the city and burned them in his gates. I mean, just awful, the stuff he did with them. They're living in the city of Rome. Paul writes them this letter, and he goes back to this basic teaching of love one another. And he says, and, and I want you to listen to how Paul pushes in on this. Listen to this. This is Romans 13, verse 8. Let no debt remain outstanding. In other words, pay your debts. Let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt. The continuing debt. In other words, you never paid this off. The continuing debt to love one another. In other words, he says, Christians, Jesus followers, I want you to wake up every day and understand that you are in debt to the people around you. You owe it to them to love them because you owe it to your heavenly father how much he loved you. And if you were to say to God, God, I love you so much, thank you so much for loving me, what can I do for you? Jesus' response would be, love one another. You have a continuing debt of love. Now, are you ready for this? Get ready, because this is huge. 
For whoever loves others has fulfilled the law. Then he goes on, and, and, and in case we missed it, verse 9 of Romans 13. The commandments, and we know these, the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, that's a big one, you know, like a top ten. The, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and whatever other commands there may be. So Jesus is saying, okay, back way, way up. You're going to wake up every single day feeling this debt of love for the people around you. And all the other commandments, the big ones, like murder and stealing and all those kind of things, whatever other commands there may be, which means any other verses that you find, any other thou shalts and thou shalt nots, everything God said about business, everything God said to you about work is unto the Lord, all this other stuff that's coming at you in terms of this is what you do and this is what you don't do, he says, Whatever other command there may be are summed up in this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. You know how powerful that is? You know how simplifying that is? That's almost too clear, isn't it? See, I'd rather, my, I'd rather go to my Bible and scour my Bible and say, yeah, but he didn't say... And, and come up with a loophole. And Paul's going, no, no, th- here's how it works. It begins right here. Love your neighbor. This is what Jesus taught. One day, they said to Jesus, hey, Jesus, what's the greatest command? And he said, well, I'll tell you, it's love the Lord with all your, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then there's another one. They're like, no, we just like that one. And he said, no, there's another one. They got, you got to take them both. And your neighbor as yourself. And then Jesus said, everything else comes secondary to those. Everything, you'll take care of it all if you'll love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And if you add to that, love your neighbor as yourself. That's the filter through which you make every other decision. And the rest of scripture is simply commentary on what that looks like. Love one another. In other words, don't you dare take a verse a passage, a block of scripture, or a story, and use it to unlove somebody that God loves. And Jesus would use the word, you hypocrite. And we go, woo. See, disciples don't look for loopholes and, and workabouts. They, they don't look for a workaround. Christians do that. Disciples don't do that. Disciples don't open the Bible trying to figure out how little I can do. Disciples don't search and go, hey, honey, it says you're supposed to submit to me. You better submit to me. Disciples don't do that. Disciples don't go to their husbands and say, honey, it says in the Bible you're supposed to lay down your life for me. See what it says? Disciples don't do that. Christians use the Bible like a mace, like a weapon. Disciples use the Bible as a mirror. Here's what I discover when I look into the Bible. When I look into this book, (laughs) there's enough in there to convict me, to work on me. I don't have time to look at your faults and your problems, right? Like I start reading the Bible and it's like, oh my goodness, that doesn't describe me. I mean, I got some work to do. But I've met Christians that are all jacked up and messed up and they love pointing at the Bible and then pointing at somebody else. Like, what's that about? So, okay, I've exhausted my time. I I need to quit. I've got way more, as you can see, but I'm going to stop. I'm just going to say one last thing. 
whatever thing you've been thinking about while I've been talking about this, like, yeah, but he doesn't know about this, or but what about that, what about that, what about that? Whatever your what about is, whatever the loophole is that maybe you think you've got that you're working through, here's what I'd say to you. Aren't you glad that God doesn't look for a loophole when it comes to you or to me? Because in my life, here's what I could tell you. There, you could find in my life 10 million loopholes for God not to love me. My life is riddled with things where you'd go, that's a loophole for God. If God didn't want to love Brett, that's plenty of reason right there. Aren't you glad that God does not look at your life and say, ah, loophole, I don't have to love you. Loophole, I don't have to send Jesus to die for you. Aren't you glad Jesus didn't look down there and go, Dad, all of them got loopholes. I don't have to go because they all got loopholes. There's my loophole for him and him. Aren't you glad Jesus didn't do that? But instead, Jesus said, you know what? Forget all that. The intent of the Father, the intent of the Father is that these people be saved. So I'm going to the cross. I'm going to love them. So here's what I want you to do. Every morning when you wake up, here's the thing that I've skipped that's really important. When you wake up, I want you praying two prayers in the morning. Number one, God, in light of the fact that you have forgiven me, how can I take this day and love you and honor you with this day? That's number one. Number two, what does love require of me? You have marriage problems? Wake up and ask that question. What does love require of me? You have a relationship issue? What does love require of me? That will be a game changer. And it, it may be real easy for you to listen to me preach and think, well, he's kind of putting the Bible down. It sounds like he doesn't exalt the Bible and think that the Bible's important. No, nobody in here loves the Bible more than me, okay? Nobody. I'm simply saying that you can focus so much on the commands that you lose sight of the intent of the commander, and that's a problem. Because the intent of the commander is always, always, always love one another. And as we get that right, we'll get everything else right. Let's pray together. Father, we need your help with this. We are not good at this on our own. We are not going to move toward people that we don't like or that are different from us or that we don't understand or you know, their behavior scares us or we don't understand it and we, so we run away. That's, our, that's, that's what comes naturally to us, is to move away from, not toward people that are different than us. Our, our, our default is to get away from situations that are uncomfortable instead of moving into those situations to see what grace we can bring to it. Someone hurts us and we retreat instead of going to them in a hurry to forgive them. We need your help with this. This does not come easily for us. Father, you are such the model of what it looks like to love. And then you call us to love you, and you call us to love one another. And I'm just simply telling you, we can't do it without you. But Father, as we get this right, more people will come to Christ. More people will know the saving grace of Jesus. More people will be set free and liberated by the forgiveness that you offer to every living soul if we can just learn how to love one another. God, you're awesome. We worship your name just now. It's in Jesus' name we pray.